Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode 39 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. But actually, after being on the road for two weeks, we'd actually prefer to be down at the ultra-cool pool of today's guest, uh, CEO and chairman of VirtuStream, Rod Rogers. Rod, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Great to be here. We're doing well. So uh, before we jump into you, before we jump into VirtuStream, let's, let's kind of get to the first order of business. How are you feeling about your beloved Miami Heat these days? Big win last night. Man, that was an awesome game last night. One of the best team wins I've, I've ever seen them have. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm a, I'm a big LeBron fan and, and a big D-Wade fan. And and uh, just it's exciting, man. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, very, very cool. It, it sort of counterbalances the torture of being a Dolphins fan. <laughs> so for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, doesn't follow you on Twitter, for example, doesn't know you or doesn't know VirtuStream, give us a little bit of background. How, um, how did VirtuStream kind of, where, where are you guys today in the business? How did you get into where you are, uh, position you're in? A little bit of, little bit of background. Sure. Um, so we're a relatively young company. Uh, we've, we're, we're about three and a half years old. My uh, co-founder, uh, Kevin Reed, and business partner, uh, and I put the business plan together for um, VirtuStream in the second half of 2008. Uh, kind of a bizarre time to, to raise capital and start up a company. It was kind of in the, in the midst of the of the credit crisis. But um, we had done this once before. I was the former CEO of a, uh, an IT services company uh, called Adjoin that we started, you know, right after the first tech bubble burst, and had a really successful outcome through you know kind of a, a very difficult time to build a company. But you know, our original. Uh, our original charter and, and passion around this was to, you know, to really kind of come up with a solution that would define um, what we call an enterprise class cloud solution for that would be targeted for Fortune uh, 1000 and specifically within that Fortune 500. And to that point, you know, being able to handle the, you know, these very large, complex, heterogeneous IT landscapes with a single provisioning engine, a single solution. Um, back then, AWS's EC2 was just kind of coming into mainstream IT vernacular, and you know we really um, respected and appreciated what that technology, uh, the power of that technology in terms of its scalability, uh, its economics, um, just the general efficiency of, of, of delivering compute in, a, in that public cloud type of format. We also saw, you know, the the um, the, the benefits and the objectives of, of sort of the private cloud and the virtual private cloud provider marketplace. Um, having a lot of years of experience in selling the enterprise suite uh, in the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, you know, we, we felt like we had a very good understanding of what enterprise CIOs were looking at uh, in terms of requirements for the their more heavyweight industrial application SLA level type. Um, uh, type of situations. Uh, we saw um, neither uh, side necessarily um, uh, uh, being a complete solution. You know, this kind of almost a religious war, at least it, there was a little while ago, and, and it's somewhat given way to the recent religious war on APIs and API standards. You know, say a year or so ago, there used to be kind of this group that would generally be uh, web 2.0 oriented, web scale kind of open source oriented, software oriented public cloud group of pundits and marketeers and commercial providers, and they would kind of uh, uh, counterpoint and 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 to some degree 
philosophically debate with you know more of an enterprise group, generally more of a proprietary software group, uh, generally more defined as a private cloud solution or a virtual private cloud uh, provider. Um, the, the former group would you know essentially contend that all apps will be rewritten to be cloud intelligent, cloud ready apps. You know, one size will generally fit all, um, and the like, and, and making sort of that assertion towards a more futuristic, modern sense of, of cloud technology. Um, and the enterprise guys would tend to more fearmonger around security and performance. Uh, you know, they would tend to have heavier weight, uh, more single tenant oriented types of solutions. And while we uh, didn't necessarily wholly agree with either camp, we felt that. Our definition of an enterprise cloud, or what we call an enterprise class cloud, would be a solution that would be able to actually address both legacy applications and web scale applications, and it really kind of comes down to the use case um, and you know the the various storage and network and security solutions that you bring to bear for those various application use cases may differ. Um, but we wanted to create a solution that ultimately, you know, addressed a complete, large, sophisticated, heterogeneous landscape in the Fortune 500, and where you know that Web 2.0 organization on Netflix, Zynga being you know very, uh, you know, marquee examples of that. They in the in the enterprise, there are that's generally more the exception than the rule. You you tend to in these large Fortune 500 IT landscapes have. You know, a heavyweight, heavy-duty enterprise app at its core. You generally will have varying tenures of, of web-developed apps uh, satelliting around it, uh, and then you'll generally have um, uh, a certain new generation of cloud-ready uh, apps um, that would be uh, the the most modern web-scale-oriented type of applications to service. You know, online retail application needs. Um, you know, content management, content distribution that type of thing. So um, our original goal and desire was to uh, to essentially address both, you know, taking the multi-tenant um, uh, scalability and economic efficiency attributes of the public cloud and combining it with the security and performance attributes of the private cloud, creating a and inventing really a new provisioning unit measure around that, which is something we call a micro VM, which is a logical container of compute, RAM, uh, embedded network bandwidth commits, and embedded storage IOP commits. Um, so we've kind of taken our, our provisioning unit down to the, we've taken the cloud down to its molecular level, if you will. We go into landscapes, we size that landscape in terms of the aggregate attributes that comprise those micro VMs. We then construct a pool of those micro VMs and then construct and deconstruct VMs across that pool. So in a sense, what we've done is virtualized VMs. We've taken a headroom, if you will, out of VMs that are many times sized around application peak load requirements and the like. And then adding to that, you know, there's just a lot of kind of the uglier, dirtier, harder side of, of dealing with uh, full enterprise requirements in the areas associated with security and, you know, audit and compliance, um, you know, uh, and, and those types of things. But, you know, our original objective is really to, again, come, come to the enterprise with a complete solution that addressed applications by way of use case as opposed to imposing 
a cloud provisioning or cloud architectural solution and attempting to impose that across all apps or abandoning the apps that didn't necessarily um, uh, work effectively with with uh, with uh, you know the the cloud architecture that is being provided, and to ultimately take the concept of virtualization uh, and and um, and cloud to its its ultimate level of efficiency by getting to true consumption based uh, provisioning as opposed to you know VM sized or VM allocation based provisioning. So that was kind of our original objective. Um, we set out to. To do that, we've you know patented uh, you know a number of the um, a number of the uh, technologies that we've developed. We developed our own software layer that does um, both pooling uh, and, uh, and you know just all the variety of workload management, provisioning, service orchestration um, uh, elements of our our provisioning engine. We've developed a portal that sits on top of that and manages that. And uh, um, we have also connected that down to the actual virtualization fabric layer where we are um, really hardware and virtualization hypervisor agnostic. You know, we really work with anything out there. Our, we, we tend to use KVM either uh, through CentOS or through a Red Hat supported KVM for our web scale apps, and we tend to use it for our enterprise apps. Okay. So uh, a, a lot there, a lot, a lot to sort of digest. You know, I think... One of the things I'm, I'm hearing you say is, and, and this is always the challenge uh, when you go talk to enterprise IT organizations, is you know part of what you're talking about them to them is is use cases and and what do you do with legacy applications? Can you move things to the cloud? And and to a certain extent, a lot of that, if you really boiled it down, comes down to you know how do I change uh, without you know people's natural sort of instinct that they they reject change they're not real happy with change i think what you're what you're kind of ultimately saying is um if if you could get away from having to think about like uh this group has to change and they've got to learn a bunch of new tools that group has to change maybe this stuff can move you're basically saying if you want web scale types of of services web scale type of uh how fast it can be provisioned how easily it scales up or down but you also want uh, the ability to move maybe more traditional types of applications, and and you can kind of hide some of that. You can you can give them a single way of of managing it, a single view of it. Um, I mean, that's really kind of the sweet spot that you're going after, which is um, not that IT has to radically change, but but you're basically providing a uh, a service on top of that that says don't think about this as, as complete silos, which a lot of times people naturally think about if they say uh, move my apps to the cloud or only go to web scale or you know some of the religions that, that I think you are hitting on. Is that is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had twenty you know some odd years of institutional scar tissue of selling <laughs> into the large enterprise. It's just not that easy, you know. Nope. Many of the people that you hear making those assertions, you generally won't have that much experience working in in the large enterprise, or, or generally, um, you know, will we'll just have a bit more of a naive um, view of that. That the, the 70, 80 percent of the spend that we're seeing in the in the IT landscape of these large uh, corporations uh, are are still in and around supporting legacy applications. Um, so rather than abandon that seventy to eighty percent, we fully subscribe to the web scale to the modernization of the app. Right? right. So we believe that we believe the world will move completely there. We're, what we're just saying is in the time frame that it'll take to do that, which will be a very material period of time. We're also going to address 
with you know this unique architecture, the ability to support these heavier weight IO transaction intensive apps through um, you know through our cloud solution rather than discard them. That that is kind of the one thing we we do not feel that we it is proper to impose a one size fits all solution. We feel it's all around the app use case and being able to have an efficient single pane of glass that drives to a provisioning engine that is suited for the in, invariably the variety of different application use case requirements uh, in the enterprise. And you know, coming back to that definition of enterprise cloud, one of the things when I first got involved in this business is I heard the enterprise cloud almost referred to in a derogatory way or as a derogatory term, if you will, um, uh, by, the, by the pundits that were more advocates of the public cloud, the web scale cloud. And, and, and I actually think, I, I agree with many of their assertions, but I actually, did, I, I actually um, uh, refute essentially their definition of an enterprise cloud being, you know, sort of this brand stack of hardware with embedded capacity that's inelastic and the like. There are virtual private cloud providers out there that kind of created that that opportunity uh, to be accused of that. You know, that there are certain guys out there, largely, you know, redistributors of VMware's IP that tend to sell hosts in virtualized blocks. So they tend to be more single-tenant-oriented uh, type of off-prem providers that are really almost outsourced virtualization. Mm-hmm. We check that as being a cloud solution. We don't view that as a true cloud solution. So we agree with essentially the Web 2.0 crowd in, in that sense. Um, you put it to a client, you've got you know a very expensive on-prem virtualization to 2.0 rack. What we, what we are saying is there are absolutely ways to service these non-cloud-ready apps yet, you know, these larger, heavier weight uh, enterprise apps such as SAP by way of breaking down your provisioning units, managing those resources in a pool, and thus being able to guarantee the attributes that are critical to servicing those applications, such as IOPS, you know, really having throughput guarantees and application level latency SLAs and the like gives an enterprise CIO the peace of mind to actually be able to put his SAP production in uh, his SAP production instances in the cloud. And the only way that we have, the way we've invented uh, the ability to do that is to break down the, the VM into these fungible and um, um, uh, the, these units of measure that allow us to share the attributes of those units of measure across the total landscape requirement. And then you, you basically only pay for the resources that you lit up and used in that resource grid over the course of the month. So what that allows us to do, essentially, Brian, is it allows us to, to provide application-level SLAs for enterprise apps in an actual multi-tenant, highly elastic environment by way of essentially guaranteeing those sub-VM attributes back to that application. Right. around it too but that's kind of the core yes yeah. uh, okay so so really kind of rethinking what what makes up an application what's what's really important versus what uh, what can be shared what how, you know ultimately how do you deliver the right sort of uh, set of, of experiences for that application and, and hiding some of the things that maybe like you said were baggage or scar tissue from from before exactly, exactly. and again this doesn't in any way just dis- discard the intensity and the focus on 
on on the modernization of the app in the enterprise and leveraging more of these new technologies. It's just simply saying if you're going to do that, you're going to deliver a web scale oriented. You're going to use a distributed architecture based hypervisor. You're going to use different storage strategies, different network strategies. Um, you just got to we we assert that in order to to really effectively serve the enterprise cloud market over the course of you know the next forward uh, how many years? Let's just say five years. Um, five to ten years that you really have to have the ability to, to, to address all applications in that landscape rather than a small portion of them. Okay. Very good. So let me, um, let, let me hit on sort of one more technical angle and then we'll start talking about the, about the business side of, of what you do and, and your customers. So we're starting to see, um, you, you sort of hit on it, uh, you know, for the last couple of years and, and even over the last year, we're starting to see more sort of cloud service providers, service providers in general, kind of getting very deeply involved with with creating their own standards. So whether it's things like OpenStack or around certain APIs, um, certain technical communities, this is a little bit of a shift. I mean, providers have always had some of their own intellectual property. They've developed some of their own software. But but this is this feels like a shift in, in them trying to sort of own uh, control of technology in order to, to drive customers their way or, or drive new adoption. You guys have won a number of awards uh, from you know, some of your partners. You talked about VMware, uh, IBM, uh, Red Hat, and some others. What's your, what's your take? How is, what's Virtustream's take on kind of providers starting to get involved with, with sort of technology creation, standards creation, or how important is that to your customers for, for them to say, when I, when I want to leverage a service, I want to know about interoperability, I want to know about standards. What, what's your take on that whole sort of stew that's, that's going on out there? Yeah, so in the enterprise, in, in, in sort of that enterprise marketplace that I just described, Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, the first focus or the focus that we see the most today is on the underlying attributes of the cloud solution, first and foremost, right? That, that I, I kind of got a kick out of, you know, uh, when, when the whole, when CloudStack uh, contributed to the Apache Software Foundation and that occurred, you know, a lot of the dialogue between OpenStack's architecture, CloudStack's architecture, and uh, ultimately who was more AWS compatible or API compatible. Um, you know, lost in all that is really all the stuff under the API, right? The, the, the hardcore IP that's being brought to bear. So that, that would be sort of the first comment I, I would have to say, you know, at the end of an API is still fundamentally the architecture and the solution of a particular cloud that may or may not meet that use case requirement, right? So the first first and foremost, we're seeing our clients, and I, I've seen buyer IQ increase dramatically in the last year or so in the enterprise, um, in the enterprise buying suite, uh, if, if you will. You know, a year ago or so, uh, when when these large companies were sort of considering cloud solutions, it was it was very early stage, very um, diligence diligence. And now it's you know here's my here are my requirements. You need I need this type of SL. I need this type of response time. I need this type of security protocol uh, and the like. So we're seeing much more established and mature um, and intelligent RFPs, quite frankly, um, coming out. Uh, and as it relates to these standards, you know I I, I really think it's early days with this. Um, you know one of the things that we looked to do is to, again, take our cloud solution down to its most molecular level, if you will. So one of the things, that concept of the micro VM unit of measure and what we do with it from a resource pooling and resource management standpoint, just that unit of measure itself, if you think about it 
if we get to uh, a market where you're truly seeing workload exchange, um, you know, either within legal, I'll say beyond uh, inside a, a multiple entities, inside a, a single legal entity, but across legal entities, which is sort of what we call federation, um, you know, we feel that, and again, part of our vision around creating the IP that we did around the microBM is it would give us a way to kind of normalize a view of what workload usage was across varying degrees of cloud providers. So, you know, you can have VMs of all different shapes and sizes servicing a particular environment by cloud provider A if you're going to ultimately exchange and or um, uh, trade workloads with another entity using a different flavor, different size, different shapes of VMs from a different um, uh, cloud provider, there is a great value we feel into the mathematical normalization of consumption. Um, so that's one of the things that we've been focused on, you know, quite a bit from a from an API standard standpoint. We've adopted the and for our external API, we've adopted the AWS API. Um, we then have an internal API that we use to, you know, convert the information passed in that API to all the stuff that we do within our architecture and IP, we don't feel like it makes sense to kind of swim against the tide uh, from that standpoint. You know, we're, we're less really passionate about that and more passionate about, okay, let's get this, this uh, you know, let, let's get the information into our cloud and then we'll take it and optimize it and provide the service back to that application use case. Okay. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Um, actually, sort of news to me that you guys were. I, I like that approach, though. It's the API is the API. It's just a way of of getting at functional uh, capabilities, and 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 why not take advantage of the fact that other people have have written tools to that, and then internally you guys figure out ways to to make that as appropriate for customers as possible. So I like that. It's all, it's all about where you burn your cycles, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you uh, you were supposed to have been on a on a trip over to the Middle East uh, this week, so um, thank you for uh, some rearrangement of schedule for coming on. Um, you guys have presence uh, around the world. You've got customers you're engaged with around the world. How much you know when you're talking to people about enterprise cloud? Obviously, you know what's considered sort of mainstream in say North America versus say emerging markets or somewhere else. What are you seeing as the differences uh, in the in different regions around the world? What are people asking you for that are that are different in whether it's Asia or emerging markets or, or North America? Sure. So I would say from our experience, our North American clients are the most sophisticated in their requirement definitions and, and from what we see the most forward thinking. Um, so I would say the North American market is the most advanced in terms of imposing requirements on us to serve. I'd say Europe is, is pretty close, um, and we do most of our work again at when you're when you're a, a younger company, you know everybody kind of, I think to some degree, overmarkets their footprint and overmarkets what they are and what they do and the like. I tend to not be like that, you know. In the, in the in the European theater, we're largely operating in the UK. Um, we have an office there and two uh, cloud nodes in in a data center that we own and two data centers that we own there. Um, and, and I would say that UK marketplace is, is very closely aligned to the US marketplace, um, the North American marketplace. It tends to move a little slower in its buying cycle, um, but it, it you know as it relates to the to, to the buyer attributes and the things that are critical for those uh, for those uh, folks, um, you know I would say it's it's pretty similar. So 
And then I would, the two other theaters of operation that we have ex- experience in is Asia. And within Asia, you know, Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Thailand, um, uh, uh, um, you know, that area tends to operate a little bit differently than China and a little bit differently than Japan, a little bit differently than, than, uh, than say, the Australian markets that, you know, we sort of see three or four sub-markets within that market. China right now is like the Wild West. I mean, it is, everybody's really kind of uh, scurrying to organize, fund, and develop IP. There's, there's you know, quite a bit of, of um, there's just quite a bit of activity in that marketplace. The, the general enterprise landscape is much more dated there. So you're dealing with, you know, a lot of SAP R2 instances instead of R3 instances. It takes a lot of time talked about earlier to kind of it's even to the to the next stage of, of challenge or even more um, uh, uh, they're even more behind in terms of their upgrade cycles and the like um, the Middle East really virgin territory right now as, as we see it you know the ME and EMEA uh, of, the, uh, of, of that region for us is something that you know we're seeing a number of the different service providers really kind of mobilizing around you know what their um, you know what their uh, service provision strategy is going to be. Try to trying to define their marketplace. Trying to you know marry their infrastructure capabilities in some instances their infrastructure limitations um, with you know what that market would yield. So it's more of a uh, kind of a business case um, to uh, a cloud solution type of exercise there. Um, where um, you know I, I would put uh, I would put the Asian regions certainly ahead of that, and there's a number of different Asian players that you could argue are well ahead of anybody, you know, in terms of solutions and, and what they're driving. So to me, it's not it, it's it's really less about the differing requirements and more about the stage of where these countries are and these subregions are within the the overall macro region. Okay, and obviously with you guys having a, a- broad portfolio of ways to deliver services that kind of gives you a, uh, a way to say, if you're early stage, this may be a fit. If you're more mature and you've got more, like you said, more complex, more visionary types of things you're trying to do, uh, the, the portfolio fits a little bit differently with those customers, I would think. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've had some success with, um, you know, there is a, at our core, we're fundamentally a software company mm-hmm. and we use software to provision uh, virtual private cloud environments uh, as a CSP cloud service provider, and in July we are taking. Uh, we've been working on this for a year. We're taking our internal cloud provisioning engine and releasing it as an end software product. We'll announce that ahead of GigaOM structure uh, later this month. We'll be launching the beta version of that in July, and and uh, and and uh, general release will be in August. Um, and we're on track for that uh, right now. But basically. What we've done is take, taken our internal cloud provisioning engine, our platform, Extreme, and have turned it into an end cloud enablement software product. So uh, we will now have the ability to sell our software to companies that want to enable their own cloud in their own data centers, and it will have embedded DR uh, and 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 uh, bursting capabilities back to our our off-prem uh, CSP-based cloud nodes. Um, we very much believe. In the hybrid market moving forward, we think that there's going to be, um, especially again within these large, sophisticated, heterogeneous um, environments, 
uh, situations where companies will want to run their own clouds inside their own walls and optimize their the assets that they have in terms of a sunk asset base, and then be able to leverage off-premise solutions um, as they need to. Uh, you know that that term bursting, you know, is, is such a you know I, I almost bristle every time I hear somebody uh, uh, talk about the term in, in more simplistic ways. It's a it's a really complex concept. Um, you know, there's, there's much that needs to be accounted for in terms of OS versioning and software versioning and the like in, in terms of being able to, uh, uh, you know, uh, endeavor to execute effectively you know, true workload exchange. But it's, it's, that's the direction of the marketplace. And so our focus has been to get to a highly differentiated set of IP uh, first and this micro VM architecture and our resource pooling algorithms and a variety of the other things that we do that we haven't even talked about on this call uh, was sort of the first step. Second step for us is hybrid. And then the third step would be something we consider federation, which would be workload exchange across legal entities. So, you know, creating the new intelligent community cloud, if you will. Very, very cool. So interesting. So, so we'll, 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 when the links come out, when the in- information on that comes out uh, in July, we'll, we'll let folks know. But I, it's an interesting kind of twist on, on how to basically take experience that you guys have in running a cloud, being able to then provide that to people who, like you said, may have those concerns about, you know, is it on-premise, is it off-premise? But instead of it just being sort of a, a standalone, you make a decision, you guys are going to uh, provide some hooks that will allow things to come back and continue to have that that linkage back to the services that you guys run. So a little bit of a different twist on on how to take experience that you have, intellectual property that you have, and and like you said, sort of take it to that next phase of sort of hybrid slash federa- uh, federation. So very, very cool. Um, so one last question I'll, I'll ask, because uh, I know you're obviously extremely busy. Um, last year, uh, VirtuStream acquired Anomaly. Um, and one of the highlights, amongst other things, was um, you know some access to Asian markets. Uh, Reuven had been driving a lot of things around around those space. But one of the other ones that was kind of interesting and uh, haven't heard a ton about it since then was uh, they had started kind of a brokerage service, the the ability to sort of uh, you know start literally treating compute capacity or or you know, yeah compute capacity as a as a commodity, just like you would trade gold or dollars or, or anything else. What's you know what what's going on in that space? How do how do people understand it? How have you guys evolved it? Um, it got a lot of buzz kind of early on from financial markets saying, "Oh, okay, this the you know the the big switch concept is here." But what's what's really going on in that space? Well, you know, I was pretty open about this when we when we did the deal. So you know, I, I had the uh, opportunity to meet Ruben um, Ruth some time ago and. And, uh, you know, we've been talking for a while philosophically about, you know, the whole concept of workload exchange and where it would, what, you know, what the use case would be to commercialize it, to truly commercialize it. Um, and fundamentally, you know, when, when we acquired Anomaly, it was really for a, a couple of different reasons. Um, the lesser important reasons were we, we got, uh, we were able to obtain some software IP uh, from that, that we integrated into our stack um, that helped um, round out some of our more web scale oriented uh, solutions. Um, so, you know, with ACP, uh, we were able to take components of that and integrate it into the extreme stack for, um, you know, uh, um, virtual machine management, leveraging CentOS, uh, um, uh, you know, the OpenStack API that they had built. <laughs> 
and a few other things. Um, but really, at the end of the day, we, and I had kind of come out publicly and said this, I, I, we do not necessarily believe or ascribe to that generic public-to-public workload exchange or that untrusted exchange. It's there. It's kind of a unique idea, and it may evolve, you know, as the space and as technology evolves. But what we really believe in is a federated, a private, trusted exchange where you would have um, a non-competitive group of companies that are either working in a collaborative uh, format or perhaps in a supply chain format of some uh, of some nature, um, essentially looking to leverage available capacity and available asset base um, investments uh, among each other. So we we very much believe in the future of the trusted private federated exchange uh, between um, uh, or say across legal entities. So that first example that I gave um, uh, at the educational, the, the university uh, circuit, you know, one of the things that we're actually looking at doing right now is taking SpotCloud as a core and making it a, making it available to a number of um, uh, high education institutional um, uh, consortiums so that they can actually ex- share a workload exchange across you know, their needs and their requirements. Um, we're talking to a, a couple of them now. We're actually even considering um, uh, open sourcing components of that and the like. We're, we're really in the midst of kind of getting our strategy together on that. On the, on the more commercial side of it, you know, try and, try and picture, um, you know, say, the healthcare industry where you have manufacturers, distributors, and retailers, retailers in the form of you know, healthcare providers, let's say. And ultimately, having the ability to link the, the asset base, the technology asset base of those uh, corporations together, so they could share uh, workload, um, uh, you know, requirements, or, or, or can share the technology that's required to support their workload requirements in a manner that would be accretive to the overall supply chain. That's what we really see as the forward federation market, um, and what we did in. In SpotCloud, what we saw there was, um, uh, you know, code that was very well developed around commercial workload exchange. So what we did was we acquired that uh, IP and repurposed it. Again, we've kind of done an organ transplant, if you will, into the Extreme Stack. And in 2013, we'll be releasing uh, a product that we call the Extreme Exchange, which would be targeted at at a trusted private. Uh, cloud federation across legal entities and at its core we'll be leveraging that workload exchange logic that we acquired out of SpotCloud but just repurposing and applying it to a very different use case. Sure, sure. Okay. Very, very interesting. So, um, you know, very much like you're talking about, it's it's an evolution. It's it's looking at how companies really work together. Like you said, whether it's partnerships, supply chain, trying to solve similar problems where the byproduct is good for everybody. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And um, like you said, it's 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 maybe as a standalone, it's uh, wasn't necessarily perfect, but but the 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 core of what it was trying to do gives you a, a unique sort of head start of, of what people are trying to do. So very very good. Um, so, uh, Rod, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I think we're sort of hitting the end of, of um, where we could probably dive into a lot of things that the show would get very, very long. So, uh, so thank you so much for being on. Um, first off, uh, best of luck to the Heat, uh, both in the in the 
Eastern Conference Finals and as they probably take on the Spurs here in about a week or so. Uh, for everybody listening, thanks for listening. Uh, we're out of time for the week. Um, you can always follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or, of course, on our website at thecloudcast.net. Uh, you can check out all the website updates. You can check out our YouTube channel. And, of course, you can get the show on YouTube and Stitcher. So for Rod, uh, for myself and Aaron, thanks for listening. Everybody have a great weekend. 